Okay, before I get to my next guest, Kevin Roman, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Shrixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Shrixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Shrixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Shrixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Shrixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year, Kevin Roman. Let me remind you about Kevin's background. He was a golf pro at Cherokee Town and Country Club here in Atlanta for several years. Cherokee is one of the most prestigious clubs in Atlanta. Membership by invitation only, folks. He recently spent a few years as the Director of Instruction out at Monterey Peninsula Country Club in California, right there next to Pebble Beach. Besides being one of the top instructors in the country, Kevin is a great player. He's played in a couple of majors, including the 1993 U.S. Open at Baltus Roll and the 2009 PGA Championship at Hazeltine. He's recently moved back east to New York, and I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Kevin, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, congratulations on all your success and your high rankings. Nah, I appreciate you, Kevin. So, Kevin, it's, it's been a minute since we got to have you as part of the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you so far in 22? You know, it's it's been a wild ride the last year and a half, uh, going from Atlanta out to the West Coast and then back all the way to the East Coast uh, four years later. Um, back home with family, which has been great. My, you know, we have granddaughter and, and my my parents are still here. So it's, it's been a really a great year uh, after being away for literally 18 years and barely ever coming back towards New York. Kevin, with it being PGA Championship Week and as a guy who played in the tournament back in 2009, talk about what it's like playing in a major and being a part of a PGA Championship. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, really excited for my fellow club professionals to get the opportunity to play in that because it's really one of the treats that we have in our profession. And, uh, you know, they go through a grueling process of a couple qualifiers to get there, so they're so well uh, deserving of the opportunity to play. Um, you know, I think the big thing is, uh, as a club pro, you want to keep your expectations, uh, I wouldn't say down, but in check in a sense of enjoy the moment more than worrying about the results. I mean, everybody wants to play well. You make the cut, and I'm sure a couple guys will, but you're going to have those memories for a lifetime. So 
take your time. As they say, uh, smell the flowers and look around. I mean, it's just it's a great opportunity just to have a life-changing experience for many of them. Who were you paired with in 2009? In 2009, I had Matt Kuchar and Louis Eustazen. So a pretty wow. good pairing. Yeah. What's it like being inside the ropes and walking the golf course and being in a major with those two guys? You know, it's a lot of fun. I, I knew Matt beforehand, so that was pretty good. And I was fortunate to play a practice round on Monday with uh, Rory McIlroy and Louis Eustazen. So I already got to know Louis before the tournament. And uh, it's amazing how far back then uh, Louis hit it past Rory, which is very interesting. And we were walking up the ninth fairway, and of course I'm way back behind these guys. and uh, Louie was out there about 25 yards ahead of Rory. Rory made the comment as we're walking up. He says, I don't hit a chart. I can't believe how far this guy hits it. So <laughs> it was pretty interesting to see this kind of flip-flop over the years. <laughs> were you nervous when you put you know, put the tee in the ground on the first hole on Thursday, or did your experience like you played in a, pre- a U.S. Open previous to that, were you prepared for what the, what the nerves and uh, the atmosphere was going to be like? Yeah, uh, honestly, I'm nervous, and, and I think almost everybody, whether they admit it or not, uh, anytime you're in a tournament, that first tee shot, it's more excitement than I would say nervous. Um, you know, the adrenaline, uh, the excitement, all all kind of coming in there, and you're trying to just compose yourself to tolerate it for the first, you know, shot. So it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't nervous. It was just excitement to be there, the fun, and I was just going to enjoy the day and enjoy the moment. So that really didn't, uh, the nerves didn't come into play for me there compared to probably the U.S. Open. I honestly don't remember back to 1993. <laughs> I'm too old for that. <laughs> Kevin, switching gears a little bit. And as you know, Strixon is a sponsor of the show. And I know you're a big fan of Strixon and Cleveland Golf Equipment. Talk about the impact that brand has had on your game. Yeah, I, you know, I was with uh, Cleveland Strixon uh, a while back, and then they went in a little different direction uh, company-wise, and then they got back together. And fortunately, for the last couple of years, they tried to get me back on staff. Um, but I'm pretty loyal to the companies I'm with, so I was always hesitant. Um, but I knew their product and uh, the customer service was top-notch. And last year, I made the decision that I really wanted to do it, not just because of uh, Want to make any changes because it, honestly, the product performed better for me. Um, their irons, that new ZX iron is off the charts with the sole grind that allows you to play off all types of lies. Uh, the way the sole designed in the heel and the toe, the little cutout, it gets through the grass so much easier, uh, much more consistency. You don't get any, the heels catching or the toes catching. So my iron play has been uh, fantastic with it and the new golf ball. Uh, I just started using the Z Diamond, and uh, the control in the wind to me is the biggest thing that uh, the Strixon ball did. I do remember uh, being in Monterey, and I would take all the different companies' balls out, and I'd go out to the par 5 near the water in 15, and be wind from all different directions, different days, and I would test them thoroughly, you know, probably four or five different of the main companies' golf balls, and Strixon literally was always the longest and straightest home. I wasn't playing that ball at the time, um, but it got me thinking, okay, the ball's a winner. I love the irons. You know, in the woods, everything's just been fantastic. 
And Kevin, speaking about the ZX Irons, when you and I were communicating yesterday, you said you were out there trying to qualify for the U.S. Senior Open, and you were knocking down pins with the <laughs> irons and the golf ball. Talk about that. Yeah, it, it was an interesting day. Uh, I just missed a short putt for par, you know, just on a, on a second hole. The third hole was like 195 yard uh, par three into the wind a little bit, and I hit the four iron. It hits the stick and bounced like 15 feet away. And then we get to like the 12th hole, and it was I'm like, geez, it'd be a nice time to have a hole in one. I told the kid caddy for me, and the ball uh, it was 155 yards, but downhill. So I hit a pitching wedge, and it literally flew into the flag itself and fell down and, you know, rolled about maybe six feet away again. Um, but my iron play, I use a system called a decade system, uh, Scott Fawcett, and I actually inputted my stats today to find out what it was. and Strokes gained approach to the green, and they used it based on different handicaps if you want to. I always put mine against the uh, PGA Tour players just to see where you stack up. I gained five shots with my irons yesterday. Wow. It, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. I probably had seven birdie putts inside 12 feet and I hit 16 out of 18 green. So the irons have just been phenomenal for me. Let's talk about wedges. You also play Cleveland uh, wedges. Talk about what sets those wedges apart for you. Yeah. The, the good thing is, um, Honestly, they don't overcomplicate it. I mean, many companies have so many different grinds that you can pick from. They have some, and they got the full, the mid, and the low, so they're in there. But um, I was fortunate to work with a gentleman from Atlanta, Rob Waters, and uh, when I was in uh, Pebble Beach, and we gave me a, a lob wedge, and it was a full sole. And, and I was like, interesting, because I always played the cutoffs. And he's like, no, you want the forgiveness. And what happened is, I have a stand wedge that has the uh, full sole but a lot of bounce. And the reason I like that in my stand wedge, that's 56 for me, is that I want a club that I'm not picking around the green based on the loft. I'm based on how does the club go through the ground. For instance, up here right now in the northeast, um, it was very wet. You know, you're coming out of spring, there's a lot of mud. Uh, you want to have a lot of bounce, so I'll use my 56 a lot chipping off of the bad lies, uh, the soft lies, so the club doesn't dig into the ground. You don't have to worry about that. My 60 degree, I do have a lower bounce. I have eight degrees on it. And I just recently also switched to the full face uh, wedge, which to me has been fantastic because when you open the face a little bit, the tendency is for the club to kind of come across the ball a little bit or cut across it, as many people would think. And that allows the grooves on the end to give you a little bit more spin around the green. Uh, most of the guys on tour, you'll see around the greens, they hit the ball towards the toe a little because that allows you to put in more speed in the shot but not have the ball go farther. The big advantage of doing that is when the ball hits the green, it has a lot more spin to it. So if you feel like you want to be more aggressive around the, the greens, put the ball out towards the toe a little bit and try to hit it out there. You'll be surprised how much more aggressive you can be and you'll get more spin out of the shots. So. Learning to use the wedges that way uh, in Cleveland gives us all the wedges that you can pick out, like the full so, full grind, no, excuse me, full face on my lob wedge. And in my 56, I use the standard uh, zip groove, and that combination just been great for the types of shots I like to play around the green. 
And Kevin, as you talked about bounce, I think that's something that confuses a lot of golfers. How to know how much bounce is right for not only for our swing, but as you mentioned, for the turf conditions that we play on regularly. How do we know or how should we go about choosing the wedge that has the right bounce for us? Great question. I think this is, to me, one of the most uh, overanalyzed part of the game. And I think, like you said, it's made too complicated for the average person with all these choices. But if you came to yourself and you said, okay, I'm going to carry, say, three wedges or four. A lot of people are carrying four now because the picking wedges have gotten so much stronger. They're like the nine irons I used to play when I grew up. So basically, they're carrying a 50-degree gap wedge or something similar, Um, either like maybe a 54 or 56, I'd say, is a sand wedge, and then a 58 to 60 in a lob wedge. Now, does the average person probably need a 60? Not necessarily. So that's another uh, debate there. But I like to see wedges, uh, like I said, one, meaning my sand wedge with a lot of bounce, nice full sole that will give me out a soft, fluffy sand. So if you're on a course that has soft, fluffy sand, uh, if you're on a course that has uh, watered fairway, uh, a lot of times a lot more, a wider sole and more bounce will be more beneficial. Uh, especially out of bunkers, the wide sole is the easiest one to, to perform out of there. Um, the lob wedge in the 60 or your lofted wedge, um, I'll use that obviously more on downhill lines because i got to pop the ball up higher. Uh, downhill line, a bunker, uh, coming out of high grass, just having to go very short, just pop it on the green, a flop shot over a bunker. Um, that club, I'll actually have less bounce um, to allow me to play off those little downhill lies or a firm sand bunker. So, I mean, I play a lot of courses now up here, you know, obviously public courses, and you're going to get one bunker that has a lot of sand, one bunker that has a little bit of sand. And I had that yesterday down in uh, – New York, and I got in the eighth hole. I had a bunker shot. It was very soft, so I grabbed my 56, which has more bounce. And then I got to the 18th hole, and the, the bunker got in. I felt how firm it felt, so I grabbed my lob wedge to help me to get the club to get under the ball more. So I think getting two different wedges with your most lofted wedge having the least amount of bounce, if you're going to carry something more than just a basic sandwich, and your sandwich should have a lot of bounce, and that way, no matter where you play, you'll have versatility for the shot. And if you get two bounces, two clubs with the bounces that are exactly the same, you got the loft change, but you don't have two instruments. You're playing, you're playing golf with two forks. I want to have a fork and a spoon because you never know which one you're going to need to use. <laughs> That's <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, let's talk about chipping. Take us through club selection stance and ball position for when we're chipping around the green, when there isn't anything like a bunker or water that we have to hit over? Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep it pretty simple in the sense of there are two ways to play it, and I think each person may have their preference of which way to do it. Um, the two schools, I'll just and these are generalizations, and I'll get into a little bit of the technique part. The two schools are chip with one club and learn to manipulate it and develop the skills, or two, use all your clubs and use the one that the, the shot calls for. Um, I'm, I probably chip with about four or five different clubs, and it'll vary, you know, how, how low, let some roll across the green. But if I said to you, 
I'm going to take one club all the time. As much as it's uh, simpler from a decision standpoint, it does take more technique and skills, and it's easier to kind of screw up. So around the greens, I'll make the student chip with all the clubs just to develop some, some feel and touch. So in order to use all the clubs, I'm going to teach them a basic technique of, say, I don't like the stance to be open for any reason. Pretty much just a square stance. They're going to play the ball in the middle of the stance. Yeah, even slightly forward, but I do not like a ball back. Uh, that's generally what most people teach people. Put the weight on the left leg. They lean less. They get the handle forward. And now the club or the leading edge can get into the ground and dig. Um, it's a good way to play certain shots but it also is fraught with danger. You see many people who chunk it or double hit a chip. They're hitting down a lot, and their body feels that ground impact, and then the shot's ruined. So by playing the ball in the middle or slightly more forward, uh, it gives you what I'm going to call a wider bottom, meaning my club is sliding level to the ground probably for 12 inches or so. I mean, it could be a little either way, but about 12 inches is level to the ground, just like a putter. And what you'll see from there is you'll be able to let the loft of the club dictate how far the ball flies and then figure out based on the conditions of the course you're playing how much it rolls out afterwards. So if someone went to the green and I'd recommend go out with, say, an 8-iron, uh, go out with a pitching wedge, and then go out with your sand wedge or your lofted wedge and hit three shots with each uh, with each of those clubs Trying to feel like a same type, just a, a putting action, if you want to call it, where there's not a lot of wrist tension, just basically a putting action. You'll start to see consistency that your seven iron carries, say, four yards, depending on, obviously, the length of the swing. Your pitching wedge will carry 10 yards. Your sandwich may carry 15, but they may end up in the same place because they're all going to roll different uh, amounts. And that's the ability when you get to the course, well, I got to carry it up 10 feet to get on the green, I can use this club. And learning these little things really helps uh, people pick the right clubs and score a lot better versus take the sand wedge all the time, put it back in your stance, and, and try to hit down on it. So I'd say play the ball in the middle of your stance or slightly forward. Keep your hands even with the ball or the, the club basically lined up with your zipper. And then from there, feel like you're making a, a basically a putting motion. Um, there's a tremendous uh, teaching aid that I use a lot, and I just left with my friend in New Jersey because we're supposed to be taking a trip this weekend. Uh, it's called Flight Golf, F-L-Y-T Golf. And it's basically almost like a cast on your – you can use it for your right arm. They make it both arms. But I'm a right-handed golfer. You put it on your right arm, and it restricts a lot of the right wrist hinging and allows you to be what we call wide and sweepy or wide and shallow. and you can come into the ball and your club slides, like you said, for 12 inches, you have a huge margin of error uh, when you do it that way. So uh, that is one training aid that I honestly believe that uh, almost everybody should have. And you really start to see a huge improvement in your chipping because you won't have inconsistent contact uh, where the club is hitting the ground. Kevin, does any of that change if the course has been tightly mowed and we have a tight lie? So does any of that ball position, stance, anything change when we have that type of lie that we have to deal with? Yeah, that tight lies uh, scare most people, especially tight lies into the grain. Um, 
But if I took my wedge, and I always use this as a demonstration when I'm, I'm doing a clinic, uh, I'll put my wedge on the ground, say two feet behind the ball, and I'll always ask people, can I chunk the ball from here? Can I dig the club into the ground? And they're like, no, the club's already on the ground. I said, exactly. From there, I just slide the club along the ground, and the leading edge or the bottom of the club gets underneath the equator. The ball it pops up every time. However, most people get on those tight lines. They get so scared, uh, they move the ball back, and then they, they think to bang down on it. or they, It's just like the nerves of trying to help the ball up into the air when you don't need to. All you got to do is slide the club under the ball. Um, you can take a good way to practice this. Is to just take a quarter. Um, they also make some a little chipping disc, like even a poker chip, something like that. And practice just chipping and trying to hit the uh, – the little disc at a quarter without digging into the grass. Uh, that's all you're trying to do. That will get the club under the equator of the ball. That's all you need to do off the tightest of lies. And the golf clubs are designed for that, but our mind thinks that we either have to help it up or I've got to hit the ball first the old school technique, play it back and chop down. So to me, on the tight lies, I don't do it a whole lot differently. I don't play the ball back. Um, I play the ball still forward. I probably move it a little bit more forward on the tight lies than I do on the others, unless I'm trying to make the ball roll out more. Kevin, let's go all the way back to the tee, because one of the things that was drilled into my head as a young golfer was to swing easily and let the club do the work. Now players are swinging out of their shoes. When you're starting out yeah. with a, whether it's a beginner or a young player, has the philosophy changed? Or are we just talking about guys swinging out of their shoes or ladies swinging out of their shoes at the elite level? No, it's it definitely changed uh, all over the elite level. See, the difference is in most people, this distance debate about rolling the ball back, and the average person is screaming like it's going to cost them a lot of yardage. The way the new clubs are designed, and I think that's the biggest thing, is chicken or, chicken or the egg debate, the ball or the club, I don't know. All I know is the golf ball uh, rebounds faster. So say take the new drivers, and they got what they call, as you know, the trampoline effect. Guys like Tiger in his prime. Uh, you see Bryson DeChambeau now. The faster you swing the head, the more the club head be- becomes a trampoline. Now, I remember when uh, when I was doing some seminars, they were talking about one of the tour players was all happy when the Pro V1 came out. and he gained seven yards. He goes, look, I'm, dri- I'm driving seven yards further. But the guys that he was compared against, they gained 15 yards. So he net lost eight. And because he didn't have the speed to make that club uh, trampoline. Um, we, when I grew up and you grew up, though, we grew up with small wooden heads. We had the Bellotta golf balls that spun a lot. And there you had to hit the middle or you would hit it 60 yards offline for very simply. The, the clubs today are very difficult to hit extremely offline for the, or curve offline for the tour players. So they all stand up and with the giant sweet spots, they just let it go. So I think the equipment has led to that being happening. And now everybody plays graphite shafts. Um, so those are another two inches and some are even like four, almost 46 inches now is standard compared to the 43 that uh, you and I probably grew up with. Kevin, before I let you go, I got to get uh, a pick from you for the PGA Championship this week. Who do you like? 
Oh, yeah, that's, that's like the million-dollar question. I guess I could throw darts out there. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting because it's been redone. And speaking of redone, uh, I wanted to tell you, you just had, the, to me, the best course designer on in your show, Mr. Bergen. He is phenomenal. I've been fortunate to play a few of his redos, and, and I don't hand out those types of uh, compliments lightly when it comes to golf courses all the time. But, yeah, his stuff is phenomenal, and it was great to listen to him. Um, is a pick. Uh, you know what? I'm going to be, and I don't like to try to pick the favorites by any means, but I think the game of John Rahm is so solid. His driving of the golf ball is impeccable. Um, and his putter starting to get hot again. So to me, he's just tough to beat. I mean, I think he's clearly the best player in the world. I mean, I, Scotty Shetler is phenomenal. Um, but I think Peter Green and consistency wise, Day in, day out, John Rahm is right now the best player on tour. Kevin, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's out there on social media? Yeah, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Kevin Roman Golf. Um, you know, doing some teaching up here in New York. So if somebody needs something, you can just contact me that way. Uh, I'm doing some golf schools. I got to go a couple places throughout the country this year to do some golf schools, which I enjoy. Um, but other than that, just playing a lot of golf and enjoying the family. Kevin, it's always great having you back as part of the show, my friend. Uh, I've missed having you here. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again real soon. No, I'd, I'd love to do that again. And I, I may be coming down there in the end of June, so I'll look you up if I get down there. I hope you will. Kevin, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you, Chris. You're the best. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. You're awesome. I'll see you. Bye-bye. That is the great Kevin Roman, my friends, and he's just an absolutely fantastic instructor, and as you heard, an even better person. Kevin's fantastic, and you know what a great player he is on top of that because you don't get an opportunity to play in two majors, the 93 U.S. Open at Baltus World, the 2009 PGA Championship, without being a fantastic player. And as you heard Kevin say, you have to go through qualifying just to get there. So that tells you what a great player Kevin is. But he's a fantastic guy, and I really look forward to hearing more about his uh, attempt to get into the U.S. Senior Open and having him back as part of the show again real soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Bill Bergen and Kevin Roman for joining me tonight. Next week, folks, I'll be out on the road, so the show will return again on Tuesday, May 31st. And scheduled to join me that night are LPGA legend Jane Blaylock will be back. The host of Grilling at the Green, Jeff Tracy, will join me. Jeff has become a wonderful friend. His show is fantastic. He's another one of the great people that you get to meet through social media, in this case, Twitter. So I'm really looking forward to having Jeff as part of the show. And then we'll round out the show with a return visit from Golf Channel host Damon Hack. Very excited to have Damon back as part of the show. He's just a fantastic individual. I'm really looking forward to having him here with me as well. So it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcast app out there, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on it. 
Please check out our website nextonthetea.net to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links for you right there for our recent episodes and individual guest segments as well. So whether you've got 20 minutes or two hours, we've got great content on there for you. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I know you've got a lot of podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful for the fact that you continue to make Next on the T one of them. Until next time, hit them straight, my friends.